Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hi there, Paddy from Business of Software here. Welcome to another episode of the Boss Podcast. We live in strange and uncertain times for the outbreak of COVID-19. We hope you're well, that you're looking after yourself, your family and the vulnerable in your town. It may well be that your company is starting to think about working remotely, possibly for the first time. And if that is you, I just want to recommend to you an episode of the podcast we released a couple of weeks ago with Wade Foster, who's the CEO and founder of Zapier. Zapier are a fully remote company and have been since they started. Wade shared loads of wisdom about how to hire remotely, as well as how to run meetings with the team remotely. And there was also some great stuff about communication across a remote company and how to continuously work on building the culture of your company, even when you can't be in the same room. This week, we've got another remote founder on the podcast. This is Amir from Doist. Um, He gave a talk at Boss Europe 2019 about 10 lessons that he learned while building Doist. We hope that you get a lot from it, and we hope that these two episodes of the podcast help you out in difficult times. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Uh, I would like to start off telling you a bit of the core lessons I've learned over the last like 10 years working in a remote environment. Um, so actually, when I made the t- title of like uh, creating like effective remote teams, I think there's like a lot of stuff that goes into it. So there will be like a lot of tips, like random tips that I just like collected over the years. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's start a bit about telling you, you know, what uh, I do and uh, what our company does, and also just like our, our general structure. Uh, so we are about like almost 70 people. Uh, we are spread around in more than 25 countries, many different time zones. Um, and uh, I think we are probably like, if you look at the amounts of countries we are spread around, we are probably the biggest like remote company in that sense. Like we really don't care where people are from. Um, and we make this work. Um, and uh, this year, I think we will have over 20 million uh, US dollars in revenues. And I think all of these are kind of vanity metrics. The thing that matters the most is probably revenue per employees. And for us, it's about 300,000. So maybe the first lesson is uh, like don't do vanity metrics. So like headcount is a vanity metric. Like I don't care how big your company is. Like I think it's much more important to look at how much revenue do you, do you make per employee because that tells you like how effective your team is. Uh, yeah, uh, so we are creators of two tools. Um, one is a task management app. I started this actually in 2007, so I've been at this for 12 years, and I started this uh, in my dorm room, uh, you know, just like creating a to-do app for myself. I never actually imagined it would have grown to what it is today, so it's kind of just like random. Uh, and then we also have Twist, which is like asynchronous team communication app. It's like Slack, but much better. Uh, <laughs> uh, and actually, like we started to use Slack, but we found that it didn't really work in a remote environment, especially when you have like many different time zones involved. Uh, yeah. So these are the, our tools, and uh, we'll maybe like make some more in the future. But we are just focused on these two right now. So every slide would kind of like. Uh, tell a lesson I learned, uh, and also maybe combine it with, with a story. Um, so, uh, the, the great question is, like, uh, I think we all know that ability to hire from the world is like a superpower. Like, it was never actually possible before. But I also want to venture into, like, how I came into this remote environment. Like, I didn't, like, wake up one day or, uh, or read something, and I thought, like, this is an amazing idea, let's do this. Um, the story is I started Doist in Chile, um, and I actually wanted to stay in Chile for six months. I stayed there for two years because uh, I met a girl. <laughs> uh, so my plan was kind of like to, to go to uh, US and start my company there in you know, the Mecca of the world, which is the Silicon Valley. Uh, but I kind of never went there. Uh, and then I was kind of stuck in, in, in Chile, and my girlfriend, now wife, uh, couldn't really move because uh, she had to finish her studies. Um, and I kind of find like a product market fit with Todoist and I needed to hire people. And in Chile at that time, there was like almost nobody I could hire. Um, 
because I needed like very specialized uh, development and, and designers and I couldn't find them. So that's when I actually started to look globally and hire like some people like from Europe, from Russia, and it kind of worked. And uh, yeah, so uh, the first lesson is also maybe just like when you actually start to do stuff, you don't really know what you're doing. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know like what the implications were. Um, so this is actually uh, our home offices around the world. Uh, and like we have like, actually am amazing like the, the setups that people have. Uh, and there's also like some cats and babies involved. Uh, I would say the baby photo is fake. Uh, because if you ever had like a baby, uh, you can't really do any work. It's just a lot of crying. <laughs> but it looks cool, cool on, uh, on this slide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so lesson two is really about trust. Uh, so a lot of people ask me like, how uh, can I trust the people that are actually working? Uh, and I think like, if you actually need to ask yourself that question, you have hired the wrong persons. Um, so that's one thing. The, the second thing, I also see like a very like uh, bad uh, maybe movement of tracking remote workers. So there are some like companies that install like screen monitoring software on their employees to track them. And it's just like insane. Like, uh, uh, and it's actually much more common than, than we think. Um, another thing is like synchronizing of work hours or requiring people to be online at specific times. I also think like this goes against like this mantra of remote work. Uh, so for me personally, like trust is like the, 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 like the baseline of remote work. And you need to hire people that you can trust. And it actually starts at the like, hiring phase. Like if you're in an interview and you think about like, uh, I, don't, I can't really trust this person, then you shouldn't hire them. Because you can't really create any processes or structures that can actually enable you to, to just like, uh, you know, building trust if it isn't there in, in the first place. The lesson three, and I, I learned this the hard way, is basically around outsourcing. Um, so I started out uh, and I didn't know what I, was, what I was doing. I needed to create like mobile apps for Todoist uh, on Android and iOS. And I basically found this uh, agency in Eastern Europe that can do it very cheaply. Uh, and I thought this is this is amazing, uh, let's, let's try it out. Uh, yeah, so I basically hired them and after a month or two, it was just like a disaster. Uh, like the, the, the thing that they built, the code, like my, my background is computer science, uh, so the code they built also was like just horrific. And I have just like spent, you know, a lot of money on, on doing that. So I kind of like shifted my strategy and I think also a lot of others hire remote workers as like a cheap, uh, you know, development force or whatever. Uh, and I think this is like the wrong way. So you should actually hire people that, you know, uh, you want to work with, that are passionate, uh, that care about the stuff they are building. And that's like the, the, another baseline. And basically after that, like we have never used any outsourcing or actually like uh, outsource any of the stuff that we do. And this includes, for instance, like translations because we just want to build like a personal relationship with, with our uh, people instead of just these like mercenary transactions. Um, so another thing is like we, I started this as a like bootstrapped company, so I couldn't really hire people fast. So I'm not sure like how many of you are, uh, know the blitzscaling scheme that Silicon Valley uses of just like hiring a lot of people uh, fast. Um, and I couldn't really do this because I didn't have like millions in funding to, to do that. And uh, even when we actually started to have the ability to blitz scale, we didn't. Because we found out that actually like one right fit can easily replace like 10 or more misfits. And a lot of companies I think are, are very like um, maybe not too picky about what people they hire. Uh, and maybe this is also like if you constrain yourself to like just a city like Cambridge, then the talent you can hire isn't uh, like that diverse. But if you're, um, you know, like talent pool is the whole world, then you can be very picky about what people is it that you hire. Um, and actually like over the years, it has become increasingly harder and harder to get into this because we have just like set the standards higher and higher. And I think this is like something that, that I'm at least proud of. Like we are very slow 
at hiring. The teams hate that, but I think it also like, creates very good like uh, culture, and it also you know helps us like have a team of amazing people. So even if we are if we are like 70 people, I think we are actually much more productive uh, than that. Um, so this is about like um, like uh, communication inside remote teams. But even actually, if you aren't a remote team, I think communication is like the baseline again. Um, and there's like two ways of, of communicating. Um, and I think these are like maybe computer science terms, but basically you have asynchronous and synchronous. And synchronous communication is a communication where you send a message and you expect an answer right away. So this could be like a real-time chat uh, or a Zoom call. Asynchronous communication is like you send a message, but you don't expect an answer right away. Um, so basically in Duist, we started as like a synchronous communication culture. So we use Slack and like it was a disaster because you know, given that we have so many time zones, I could never actually relax. And uh, like any time of the day, somebody needed my attention, my real-time answer. Uh, so that made it very hard to disconnect from work. Um, so uh, over the years, we have actually shifted to asynchronous communication. And uh, this is actually a huge implication of the culture that, 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 we, that we have built. So for instance, like I can spend uh, like an hour or two with my son every morning uh, without actually uh, missing a beat at work. And then, you know, like I'm refreshed, full of energy, I can go into work, and nobody has been missing me. And same thing like with people that have like a, like exotic uh, like hobbies, like uh, we have Ben from, from Luxembourg that lives in, in Portugal and he likes to surf. So he can actually go in and surf for two hours, you know, get re-energized and then go back to work and like nobody's missing him. Um, of course, I think there's maybe like, uh, a thing here is like you shouldn't go fully uh, asynchronous because you know, you still need to like uh, connect with people and, like for instance, like Zoom calls, uh, or just like um, sometimes like when, when, when shit is on fire, like you need to have real-time communication with your team. But the thing is like your default way of communicating should be asynchronous because most things, you know, don't need to be done in like uh, in, in a fast manner or like right away. And I think there's only some remote companies that, that promote this. Uh, and I think uh, maybe Basecamp, uh, uh, Automatic, uh, so it's kind of like very niche, but I'm pretty sure like a lot of companies will figure out this is actually really, really smart and the right thing to do because it gives people so much freedom. Um, so another thing that we and many of other remote companies do is we do like team retreats. And even if you're not a remote company, I can actually really recommend doing this because this is actually how we build connections with people. Um, so we do actually um, like a retreat for the whole company and we usually like, try to pick like a, um, like a special place. Like we have been to Iceland and Chile, just to give some examples. And then we also do like team retreats. So every team inside a company can actually do retreats around the world. And this is like really, really costly to do, but it's like worth every penny because this is actually like how experiences are built uh, inside a company and how people get like the, the human connection. Um, and I think like if you start remote and you don't have this, then people will feel like not that connected to the overall company or the, to, to the people inside it. Um, yeah. Um, so this is us actually in Chile and we have like created a, a Duis logo on the beach, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, for, for me personally, like these retreats, um, like, I mean, yeah, they kind of make up for not seeing people around the year, because when we see people, it's kind of magic and like, it's like an incredible experience. Uh, yeah, so this is actually not really anything about remote, but it's just like company strategy uh, and also like the long-term view on things. So basically, um, like there's like no exit strategy. I, I will, I, my plan is kind of like die doing this. Uh, so that's how committed I am. And if you actually have that kind of commitment, you make me, uh, like very different choices. Um, like in, you know, what kind of culture do, do you promote? What kind of working style do you promote? What kind of like work do you accept? And what is actually the baseline? 
And I think like a lot of founders and companies uh, don't really build their companies for the long term, and that's why yeah, you, you, you maybe fail at, at some point. Um, yeah. Um, very related to like the long-term view is basically like, more focus on like mental and physical health. And this, I think, is especially like, critical in a remote environment. Um, so, um, you know, remote isn't only about like pina coladas and surfing on a beach. There's also like a dark side to it and it's basically like, isolation. Uh, like people can build like very like uh, bad habits of just not seeing other people you can kind of like become very isolated from the world by doing this. Um, and I think it's like very important that we kind of uh, like see this uh, and also like try to, to tackle it. Uh, and I think also like we don't really know all of the implications of remote work yet because it's such a like new concept. Um, because like throughout our history, we have always like been, you know, working with other people. And you can like see the body uh, and stuff like that and just interact with people. And right now we are missing that element. So I'm actually unsure what kind of things we'll have, but I think that we need to kind of accept that it's an issue, and we have like already seen it at Duist, uh, that people do have a problem with this. And if you actually do any kind of surveys, then like, uh, like loneliness, isolation, are like the top problems of, of, of remote work, and maybe r r work in general, but yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, so what can we actually do to solve some of these? Uh, in Duist, like we have like a very nice vacation policy, so people can actually take 40 days per per year off, and it's mandatory. So like it's not like unlimited vacation; you actually need to take your vacations. Um, and then we also have different perks. So for instance, like we pay people co-working spaces, so they can actually go out of their house and like interact with other people, and then have kind of have a, 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 a like office environment. And I actually, I, I work from a co-working space in Barcelona. Uh, and it's kind of amazing because it kind of, yeah, you kind of have this office environment and you have like work friends and stuff like that. Um, and another thing is basically also like paying people, uh, for instance, to take like yoga classes or gyms or, or like things that can actually, you know, increase their health and, and mental well-being. Um, so as we venture in, I think we'll probably invest a lot more into this because I think this is probably the biggest roadblock of, of remote work. Uh, Um, another thing that is also happening in, in the remote space is kind of like the companies are extremely transparent. And I'm actually unsure uh, if it's kind of like we are copying each other or if it's just like a required need uh, because you can't really like share the same like office or like have lunches together. So you kind of like need to be much more transparent with a lot more people. Um, so um, one of my friends is like Joel from Buffer, and they actually uh, are maybe like transparent on a whole like other level. Like they share salaries, and actually not only internally but also with the public. So you can actually go in and see what anybody inside the team is making, which is a bit insane. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have actually talked a lot about doing this, but people think it's like dropping a like nuclear bomb inside the organization. Which maybe it is, but like if you're starting out, maybe it's actually a good uh, thing to do. Uh, it's just like transparent salaries because then, uh, yeah, uh, why not? I, I think though, like we are at a stage where we can't really do that that easily. I think it will probably create like a, a ton of problems. Uh, but inside this, we are also like very, very transparent. So for instance, we don't really have like private channels. Like I, I think we have like two or three, but everything else kind of public. And anybody can join in and see, for instance, like what is the leadership team uh, talking about? What are our issues? Like nothing is hidden. And especially if you combine this with like that, uh, that most of the communication is written, this means that anybody in, in the company can be informed. Uh, so I think this actually is a, like a, a very new way of actually communicating um, inside companies. Yeah. Um, but I'm unsure about the salary part. We'll get to it. Uh, so the last lesson is really a lesson um, about implications uh, and also that you don't really know, when you start something, you don't really know what it will actually uh, like venture into. And I have like been working in the remote space for like over 10 years and I think actually like this will change the world and it will change it for the better. Uh, 
I know it's a, like a lofty statement to, to make, uh, but um, the reason why I believe this is if we actually look at all the other ages that we had, for instance, the hunter-gatherer age or like the information age, you had to, to get like a, a good job, you had to be close to it. Um, so for instance, like the hunter-gatherers had to be close to the animals to, you know, hunt them. And in the information age, you had to be close to like these big cities to get like office jobs in like these huge corporations. Um, and remote first age is kind of the first stage where you can get an amazing job regardless of where you live. And this has like huge, huge implications to, to, to the whole world. Um, and if we also combine this with the ability to, to learn anything online, then I think like we kind of like make, uh, like basically we'll create equal opportunities to everybody inside the world. And in this, we have also already seen this because we have like people that live in remote uh, like areas of the world that are amazing uh, talents and that actually like, you know, earn maybe like 20x of what the average person does. So like imagine like uh, if you have like somebody like that inside your family, like it can change like whole, you know, local communities. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we will see a lot more as like remote work grows. The thing is like there's very, very few actually remote first companies in the world. I hope we will get more of them. But I actually, if this scales to like, you know, hundreds of thousands of companies, I think we can have like a global impact. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is like a, a very like distorted view, but I, I'm quite like uh, optimistic about this. Yeah, so that's about just like random lessons from uh, the remote working uh, world. And if you have any other questions, you're very welcome to uh, tweet me or write an email, yeah. And I'm really, like, I think we have probably half an hour of questions, so I'm looking forward for that. Thank you. Um, Amir, thank you. A really great way to start the day. One of the things that I notice when, I'm, when I get all the decks coming in is that both of the speakers on the first day um, had black backgrounds and white text as their talks and did these short talks that then walked into um, Q&As. And I think the other thing I've noticed about remote working talks is they've all been pretty short and to the point. And then there's a big Q&A session afterwards. I don't know if that's just an, a, a, a coincidence, but um, remember Wade Foster last year when he was talking about um, Zapier. You know, he does his thing gets the points across, and then everybody has questions. So um, I'm looking forward to a, a pretty active Q&A, and we're going to start with two marks, so one there and then. Uh, morning. Um, so very interesting, thank you. Um, I was curious, if you had the opportunity of bringing all of your team members and, and their families and working in one office sort of environment instead of remote working, would you do it? Uh, I wouldn't, and, and the reason is... Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, the office environment, I don't really think it's, like, the future of work. Uh, and it's kind of, like, a very, like, outdated way of, of working because, like, we don't really need office spaces to do our work. We can work from anywhere if you kind of, like, do, like, a, a tech or even, like, if you do any kind of, like, modern uh, information work. Uh, yeah. And I think also, like, for some people and also for me, I have actually tried to work from an office environment in Porto and I actually get very stressed because, like, for me, I need, like, to have, like, uh, ability to uh, deeply work and not be interrupted because that's where I actually excel. And, like, you know, having an office in mind where people can, like, ping me in all the time, it's very, very stressful for me. And it kind of, like, uh, yeah, creates, like, anxiety as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I know plenty of open offices that where everyone is working completely remotely from each other and they're all in the same company. But... <laughs> That's another story. Mark. Yeah, I, I, I love your idea of having an exit strategy, which isn't an exit strategy, although I, I do hope you don't die on the job. Uh, personally, I've only ever had one good idea, and I intend to stick to that as long as it works. What I did wonder was whether that actually, that obviously gives you certain liberation and freedom because you're not planning the next gig. So I wondered what your views were on, do you have a long-term plan, or is it very much a journey that you're going to just see where it goes? Um. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, honestly, it's very hard to actually predict what I'm going to do or like what we are going to do. Uh, but I think like our, our strategy is basically not to sell or like, you know, become like puppets of somebody else because, you know, I have like worked all my life to actually create like freedom for myself and for the company. And then like losing that, uh, yeah, would not really be uh, a, a, a great option. And I also think like, I think maybe like uh, David from Basecamp has like a great post on this. It's like, you should work on your best idea. If you aren't doing that, then like why not? So for me, like, Todoist and Twist are my best ideas. I don't have, like, anything else. And probably if I sold this, I would, you know, maybe a few years later start something similar. And then it's kind of nuts, like, why have I worked so much for this if I'm just going back and, and starting this again? Uh, yeah. Thank you. Laura. Um, thank you for that. Um, we've tried remote work, and in hindsight, you see some very obvious mistakes you've made about why it hasn't worked. I'm curious to hear more about how you found the right people and how you onboarded them. Uh, yeah, so I think like finding the right people and onboarding them is actually the, the biggest challenge. Uh, yeah, so like I, I don't think there's like any formula or any process that you can do. It's just like, um, I mean, I, and I think also like in different stages you need to do different strategies. So in the beginning you actually need to be like proactive and search people for yourself. So basically you need to, for instance, go in on GitHub or like, you know, Reddit, Python if you need a developer or even like a, like a dribble for designers or whatever like you need and search people that you think actually could join you. Uh, as you scale, it becomes easier because then people come to you and then you can like filter them. Uh, yeah, but in the beginning, I think it's just like a struggle. Like you need to do active effort to find the right people. Uh, and then onboarding is like a whole other topic. Uh, so what we usually do right now is we fly people in to a mentor and then they're kind of mentored by a person uh, and then uh, that goes on for, 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 for a week. And then afterwards they have like three, three months mentorship of, of a person. Um, so basically they have like a, a mentor inside a company that kind of like, uh, yeah, can handhold them into the whole culture of how we work and stuff like that. So those are some ideas. I think there's like plenty of others that, that you could do. Kenny. Hey. Hi. Um, Paul. Kenny. I'm interested in point six. It's kind of a tactical thing in many ways, but the, the team retreats, they're rare, I guess, to, to some, they're the one chance to get everybody together. What's, the, what's your ideal mix? What makes the perfect retreat that keeps it productive, fun, and, and manages the balance right? How do you, how do you go about organizing those? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So basically, we actually don't try to work a lot on these retreats. Uh, so we have like some uh, workshops, where people can just hang and like talk. And then we have a few talks. So for every retreat I do a talk, like that's about maybe like the vision uh, <laughs> of the company. So, uh, and then we just spend it on like experiences. And also there's like a lot of drinking involved. I wouldn't recommend the drinking, uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, people just socialize and that's the most important part because like we, d we don't spend that much time with people. So that's where we use our energy on and not that much like, you know, like working all the time and stuff like that. So, yeah. Thank you. Do you go to, you do Chile and Iceland. Do you go to hot countries? Uh, yeah, we have been. <laughs> um, Richard. Yeah, um, I entirely agree with what you're saying about the, the many benefits of home working. We have almost 100 staff across two companies working from home. There's a big but. UK house prices mean that for more junior roles, many people don't have homes where they have a a study, a quiet room, whatever. Um, and also when we wanted to start taking on trainees. So we ended up getting offices, actually we have several offices in regions, precisely so we could try and bring on trainees, have individuals work with other individuals, just to learn, apprentices, that sort of thing. And I was wondering how you manage, I understand for experienced talent or well-paid talent, that problem may not apply, but whether you'd found any other solutions for more junior people and training people. Uh, that is a great question, and honestly, like, <laughs> we are very, very bad at uh, onboarding juniors. Like, we actually don't hire any uh, juniors, and also, like, we try to hire people that already has some remote work experience. Uh, so I would actually not be the right person to, uh, to, to give you tips on this, because 
it's like we have tried it in the, in the beginning, but the thing is like it's so hard to actually uh, teach people, especially in a remote environment. Uh, and hopefully like we can actually get resources later on to invest in this and like figure out like proper ways to do this. But right now it's just much easier for us to just hire experienced people instead of like focusing on like bringing people up. I know like, yeah, it's not a, a great thing, but it's kind of a, a, a choice we have done. Okay, sure. Would you speak a little bit about to the uh, how do you handle employee or employer or employment regulations in the multiple countries, or are they all just contractors? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, it's kind of like a, a very messy uh, thing right now, and I hope that will improve in the future. But right now, most of the people are independent contractors. We treat them like as full-time employees, but like uh, like if you look at the law, they are independent contractors. Uh, I think there's, there are like some companies right now that kind of make it easier to do this, um, where you can actually hire people via proxy. So basically, you have like a proxy company in like UK that hires people and then gives them benefits and stuff like that. Uh, but it's like a very early market, and I'm unsure uh, what is going to happen here. But honestly, like as we grow, like we need to improve this, and we'll probably focus on this maybe during this year or next year. Yeah. Cool. Hub. I was curious, uh, <clears throat> since you have people living in places with different uh, cost of living, uh, do you, are they all in the same sort of salary scale, or do you do you uh, adjust pay for cost of living where people are? Uh, that's a great question. You know, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a small audience. Yeah. Warn you. <laughs> uh, the thing is, like, there's many ways to 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 tackle this and view this. So basically, we have like a salary formula. Yeah, something also I didn't mention, like we don't really negotiate uh, salaries. So our salaries, like we have a formula and everybody gets, you know, based on this formula. And uh, that, you know, like also resolves the gender issues, but also like location issues. And for, for in our salary formula, location is like 30%, uh, affects 30% of the salary. Um, in some other companies like Basecamp, for instance, uh, or, or Buffer, uh, they actually, uh, the location does not really affect that much. Uh, so I think like Basecamp is basically they pay like a top percentile of like San Francisco salary. So it's like very, very high regardless of where you live. Uh, and I'm pretty sure like as the remote space is heating up, we will actually move towards global salary. So even right now, like we, like for some people, we are paying like ridiculous salaries based on their local uh, like range. But we do that because we think like that's the future. Like, you know, these like local salaries, they won't really exist for, for a long time. Thank you. Chris. Hi. Um, so the, the biggest problem that we've not managed to solve for our remote teams is finding a replacement for having people in a room around a whiteboard solving problems that we genuinely don't know what the solution is. Um, hopefully somebody in the room is working on a teleportation device so we can just drop in and drop out again. But I'm interested, I mean, you know, we use tools and it gets us some way there, but I'm interested to know if you've solved that problem of that sort of creative spark of, oh, we could do it like this. Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I think right now the, the tool chains are improving on like a very fast rate. Uh, so like for programming, you have like pair programming where you could basically have two people or more working together and like you have a, like a collaborative space you have the same thing for design, um, and you probably also have like the same thing for like product design. I'm actually unsure about it, but I, I'm pretty sure there's some tools that, that, that does this. Um, so I'm pretty sure like we will get better tools as we go along. This said, like for me personally, like I don't really think like great innovations are done by talking or like you know like just like brainstorming. Uh, I, I believe like you actually need to do like deep work and isolated work and think of something for a long time and then present it and like somebody you know, needs to think again and then present that. So that's actually how we collaborate. Like we don't do chit chat, like all of our communications, like deep to communication and thoughtful communication. Uh, so I think it's also like probably maybe different ways of, of working and different styles of working. But, but our style is kind of like more on like deep thoughts than just like these shallow like brainstorming uh, ideas. Uh. No. Thank you. Um, 
my question is about trust. Um, it's great to have employees you can trust, uh, but especially at the beginning, how do you get people to trust you or your company and that you will pay at the end of the month and that kind of stuff? Pass it back to Francesco. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I'm actually unsure how uh, you get people to trust you. I think it's maybe just be consistent uh, and like always treat people well. I think like uh, Derek's principle of being a mensch, that's maybe like the, using the mensch pattern. And if you're just consistent with that, eventually like, people will, will begin to trust you. Uh, yeah. And maybe also like just like, I mean, for instance, like one of our policies, and I know that some other companies have this as well, is basically like, like every uh, new employee gets like a credit card and they can actually use that freely. Uh, and we don't like require, you know, like somebody to get like approval and, and stuff like that. You can just go in and buy stuff from it because we trust that you're like an adult and you can actually make like adult choices. So you would not go like and spend it like on, on booze or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Francesca. Thank you. How do you um, measure and report on people's ongoing performance? And how do you manage instances of underperformance? Yeah. <laughs> that could be a talk in itself. Uh, okay, every question's like, yeah. it's a little ratchet up, ratchet up. Keep it coming, people. Uh, so honestly, I'm unsure how good we are at this uh, yet. But I think something that we do is like, we don't, like the thing we, we value is output of work. So I think like uh, Dame Shirley, like she pioneered this 50 years ago, but it's basically like, you know, value the output and not like, you know, if people come at time or like, you know, how many lines of code they have written or what else like vanity metric we can look at. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing regarding feedback is um, like we really try to encourage like radical candor inside a company. Um, so actually on a retreat, we had like Ma Paddy McCord uh, present, and I'm not sure if you know, uh, like Paddy mm. McCord has written a book called Powerful, which is about like net the Netflix culture, and she also created like the Netflix culture deck. And there like, she also like just encouraged people to you know, just speak their mind. Uh, of course, like this is like easier said than done. So I, don't, I still don't think we are actually very good at radical feedback, uh, but I think that's something you can do as a leader is kind of like encourage this and also like, you know, live by example, like give people hard feedback. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, Dawn. <clears throat> I'm curious, how do you manage um, differences in work environment? For example, we have a remote team and there are differences in their internet speed or the, uh, an outage, and they happen to be in Mexico. We've had earthquakes affected. There's also children. They support their families. How do you manage or even measure, kind of along that same line, code output? Because I found it very difficult to measure that, and how do you manage it? Yeah. Um, so. I mean, uh, the thing is, we actually give people perks. So like one of the other perks is like internet access. Uh, so you can like buy the best internet that you can get. And that's like one of them. And then co-working space, another one. So like you can actually solve, resolve these like family issues that, that you might have. Like maybe your home is just like a chaos and you need to go out and work from somewhere. So those are the two things. Regarding like reviewing, like um, I think it's like a huge red flag if you can't value or like review and fi figure out what is good work and what isn't. Um, so that's the thing is like, uh, for instance, like if you have a, a designer, there's a manager, like this designer needs to figure out like what is good design and what is bad and what is actually acceptable and what isn't. And the same with like coding or like anything else that you have like marketing or, or, or support. So I think it's really like, uh, of course there's like a lot of subjectivity involved, but you know, Everything that we do is kind of very subjective, so, yeah. Great, thank you. Perry. Um, yeah, so we, we're also a remote company for the past 13 years now, um, but much smaller. So a bit on the, on the retreat thing and, and the technical problem, you can do two kinds of retreat, like a technical retreat where only the guys, only the programmers, we are all guys, 
bad, badly. Um, on, Ind on Indoprogrammers Go, for example, and also on hard problems, um, you can do specifically small gathering if they need it um, to meet and, and crack the hard problem. Um, well, I want to ask you probably a slightly softer question now on your remote first age thing. That was very interesting because my first retort was, well, what do you do with the tools you use, right? Because you still need computers, smartphones, and all that sort of stuff. Someone still needs data centers and so forth. So someone still needs to make the hard bits before we can remote work. But do you then envision robotic factories where even the factory worker are remote, you know, and then all delivery drivers also now, like drone pilots, will just work from home? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there's like two ways this can go. Like it can either be like very good or very bad. And I, I hope it's going to be very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like there's like huge changes that, that will happen. And like, you know, like uh, the whole like uh, automation, like it can either go very good or very bad. I hope it's very good. And I hope actually like we can educate others around the world and like bring them up, up front and give them amazing opportunities because I think that's the only way we can actually move the world forward. Uh, the thing is, unfortunately, I'm not really seeing this uh, and I don't know, like maybe it's also just like how the current tech is kind of evolved. It's basically like slot machines and people are actually addicted to like doing stupid shit instead of just like learning stuff and improving their lives and improving themselves. Uh, so yeah, there's also like a cultural thing so I mean, in, in this, just like a, a side point here is like, we get like so many uh, or so few like uh, job location from Africa. It's basically like a continent that's lost and we don't really know like how can we actually change this. Uh, and the reason is probably that, uh, yeah, I, I think like you need to probably start like at the baby level and improve that and then, you know, go up, upwards. Uh, and right now, like, yeah. It's very hard to hire from some regions, even if we actually have the ability to do so. Cool. Um, Dave, at the back. Me? Sorry. Oh, uh, so, that's Jonathan. <laughs> sorry, Mark. Um, uh, do you ever have any uh, challenges and, and how do you solve them with different communication styles? So, like, do some people on the team get overwhelmed by the sheer volume that people write? asynchronously and then maybe like comment wars um, uh, you know arguments f f coming out that way yeah um, I mean again a very hard uh, problem and I think like uh, in communication you can either like uh, over communicate or under communicate and like the you need to find a balance act um, and honestly like I don't really think we have found it yet so I think like in Hinduist, we actually do over-communicate a lot of times and loop too many people in, uh, so it's a problem. Uh, but I think it's also something you can solve, uh, yeah. So right now, uh, it's maybe just like being aware of that and, you know, uh, making people aware of that and then tackling it that way. That At least, like, that's our current plan of, of how we solve that. Uh, Stacy. Um, yeah, over here. Uh, we also, I, we work together, in, uh, so we have the same remote team. I, I was wondering, I, I thought it was interesting, you talked about the asynchronous communication, but you, you also talked about um, general health and overall depression and things that can happen with remote teams, and I, I find that interesting. I th think the two things are sort of um, opposite of each other, not, not having uh, synchronous communication, but then also ha seeing a de depression and challenges in health, and I wondered how often you're actually having FaceTime or face-to-face -face meetings or video meetings or when are, when is everybody actually talking? Because it, it would seem to me that that lack, that total trust and the lack of communication synchronously could lead to the, the health challenges you described. That's a great question. Uh, so basically, like we do maybe like 70 or 80% asynchronously and then like the rest is basically synchronous communication, like mostly meetings. Uh, yeah. And um, honestly, like I think the way that it can solve like the mental issues is that people need to separate work and life. Um, so if people don't really create, you know, like uh, environments for themselves that can actually like, socialize and like go out and do stuff, then they will be depressed regardless if they do Zoom calls or not. Uh, so I don't really think like the, the meeting aspect is that uh, strong. I think I think like it's uh, you know just like 
I mean, in, in a work environment, you also go to lunches, you go to drinks with friends, and these are the things that actually maybe people miss and not really like, you know, like real-time chat or like uh, Zoom calls. Jan, isn't it, not Iron? As I assumed. Yep. Here. How do you address potential issues with related to potential information theft or loss, considering the fact that your workforce is spread in so many places around the world? I and I assume the source code just as well. We only have about 10% of our guys working remotely and still are a bit worried about what might happen when information might be lost, either intentionally or accidentally. So I'm unsure, what, what do you mean by... Uh, information, information by source code, for instance. Hmm? Source code, for instance. How does it get lost? I mean, uh, if somebody uh, working remotely might, I don't know, have a, an issue with the computer, security issue with the computer and uh, have that information taken by somebody else and you wouldn't have track of it. Yeah, I mean, I have never experienced this issue. So okay. I, I think huh? like you have like Git... Uh, and, and tools that you can actually use to, to do backups, so, yeah. Uh. Stolen. Stolen. Ah, stolen, okay, sorry. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, uh, we are probably very bad at this, so <laughs> I wouldn't be the person <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we don't really, like, do... The thing is, like, if you think about it, like your value is probably not in the source code or like the design. It's probably, you know, an effect of everything that's involved. So even if somebody like steals the source code of Todoist, like, yeah, so what? Like, uh, you know, it's not a big deal uh, because that's not really the whole value. Uh, of course, like if you have, you know, some like super proprietary like algorithms and stuff like that, then maybe you need to like focus more on like the security aspects of, of that. But I think you will have the same issue in an office environment. Uh, so I don't think remote work makes it very different. Chris. Hello. Um, so you, I know you mentioned earlier that you tend to hire for experienced, um, sort of more senior employees and people who already have experience with remote work. What I was wondering is about when it comes to communication challenges, part of those are communication styles. So people who are more verbose or people who are uh, quite terse or whatever, but part of it is also cultural differences and if you're a remote first organization you've got some very varied uh, kind of cultural differences around people maybe who are uh, very conflict averse or very not conflict averse or who struggle with authority structures and all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering if you offer your employees or you have any resources or coaching or things like that to help them uh, make sense of those relative cultural differences and sort of those communicate those kind of personal patterns and how those work to kind of resolve those, which are easier to do face to face because you can actually see the emotional responses to people. Or if again you're relying heavily on people just being experienced and being experienced with remote work specifically to kind of self manage that. So, what are your experiences with that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, Take time. yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, uh, like onboarding and like uh, getting people into a culture and teaching them the ways. I think it's a huge problem, and I'm unsure if you have like nailed it 100% right now. Uh, so basically, we kind of like our current strategy is basically have this mentor, and that mentor can kind of like teach them the ways. And we also have like a lot of onboarding documents where you can actually like. Uh, read about how we you know work, how we communicate, what's actually important for us. Uh, so actually, also like the core values, like one of our core values, kind of communication. Uh, so people need to be very good at communicating. They also need to you know know uh, you know when to write like a huge post and when to like write a short message. Uh, yeah, but I think it's a very hard problem. I think probably communication is probably the, the hard like one of the hardest challenges of, of remote work. Yeah, Gabriel. Um, how is your organizational structure? I've seen that there are various approaches in this direction, uh, especially in remote work where uh, you need probably more than uh, normally to have some people accountable or responsible for getting some sort of things done or for coordinating others. So um, could you provide more detail on that? Yeah. Um, we actually don't really have like any 
like we do have Snare right now, but we don't really do pure managers. Uh, so like one of the other things we hire for is like independence, so that people can actually you know do work on their own and they are kind of their own manager. And if you look at some other companies, like uh, they they will do the same thing, like remote companies, because that's a very very important requirement in a remote setting. I think, uh, yeah. Um, so that's one thing, and then like how we structure. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, you can kind of like read a lot about this, and there's like many different ways of doing it, and I don't think there's like a best way. So what I would recommend is just like maybe try to think like from the first principles and figure out like what is the best structure for you. That's what we have done. Because if you read like, you know, Apple does it this way, Google does it this way, and then like, you know, maybe Buffer does it this way, Automatic does it this way, and then like suddenly you're like very confused and you don't really know what is actually the best way to do stuff. Uh, yeah. Graham. Um, so I was just curious um, if you guys use Agile for your development and if you do, um, or even if you don't, I guess, how do you manage asynchronous planning, reviews, retros, all that? Yeah, uh, so actually like uh, we let our own, uh, the teams uh, do whatever they want so one of, some of the teams do, do like mm -hmm. use Scrum and Agile, uh, and I think it's possible to do it. And yeah, I think you can even like do it in a remote and asynchronous environment. Uh, you just like need to adapt that uh, to that. Yeah. So that's it. I, I don't know actually much about how the specific teams do, do it. Uh, I hope we can maybe do a blog post at some point about this. Uh, Interesting. Vanessa, probably last one. So I'm just really interested in, it basically seems like you've taken the sort of normal extrovert biased paradigm of the work world and flipped it on its head and created a beautiful world for introverts. Yes. <laughs> but have you had any people join who weren't comfortable in that environment and how did you manage that? Yeah, uh, actually. You can't hear them. No matter how loudly they shout, you're in another country. <laughs> I mean, we do have some extroverts, but actually the, th the, 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 the truth is like most people that work in these environments, they're introverts. So myself, like I don't really enjoy being around a lot of people. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, but the thing is like, I think even this can work for extroverted people. Uh, but it's probably a, a much harder adoption for them, and then they kind of maybe need to go into like a co-working space, be there in a loud environment with a lot of people, uh, and that's kind of like they need to like like shape their like external environment, and then internally they can just like work uh, as is. Yeah. But I think it's a very interesting topic, and like our retreats are kind of probably also very special because like we have a, like a lot of. Uh, Wonderful and also weird people from around the world, all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.